Well, welcome to Central this morning, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Easter, we are studying the book of Hebrews as it reminds us that the Jesus who's been raised from the dead is greater than anyone or anything that we could live for. Jesus is greater. And he's written this book, this uh, pastor has written this book to Jewish Christians who are struggling and they've called spiritual 911, we saw last week. And the pastor right out of the gate reminds them who Jesus is, that through Jesus, God has fully and finally spoken in his son to reveal his nature. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He can, has the power to heal us, he is, he, to cleanse us. He's greater than anything that we face. And the remainder of chapter one that we study today is about comparing Jesus's authority with the angels. And maybe you think, what does that have to do with me? I saw some precious angel sculptures sometime, precious moments but in a bookstore, but thinking about angels, that's not really my thing. Well, fair enough. But if we listen and try to understand what the pastor is saying to these people, I think we'll find that we have far more in common with them than we might think at first blush. Because the big question is this, whose voice do you listen to and why? Whose voice is the most important to shape how you live your everyday life? It's the question in front of us today as we turn to Hebrews chapter one, beginning in verse five. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your spirit to come and rest upon us and open our eyes and our ears to your word that we might behold Jesus here. I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lead us to the rock, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who do inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the living and abiding word of God. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. I read a story this week about a youth group leader who took his youth group to ski. And they saw a couple of people skiing down the slopes, one behind the other, and they were so close they could hear what they were saying. And it was as if the one behind was almost tied to the one in the front. And as they got closer, they could hear the one in the front calling out in, in staccato-like fashion, left, right, straight, right, left. And the youth group leader thought it was a little bit funny. And it sounded like an instructor giving instructions to a student. And so the youth group leader thought he'd have a little bit of fun. This is not advisable. Don't try this at home. He started yelling out different commands, contrary to what the instructor was yelling out. So when the instructor yelled out left, the youth group leader yelled out right. And when the instructor yelled out straight, the youth group leader yelled curve. A little silly, but no matter what the youth group leader yelled, the student in the back seemed to be able to tune him out. He was able to focus on the voice of the instructor in the front, and suddenly the skier stopped and turned around, and much to the embarrassment of this youth group leader, there was a sign on the chest of the skier, and it read, blind skier. Although this skier couldn't see anything, he knew his instructor's voice. This blind skier could tune out all the other voices, even those tempting and tormenting him, even the voice of this youth group leader. And he was able to safely go down the scope, the slopes because he could tune into the voice of the one who had the authority, the voice of the ski instructor in front of him. He knew the one voice to tune into and all the other noise to tune out. Who's the most important voice in your ears? It's the most important voice to whom you listen, to make, help you make sense of all the other noise in your life. The one that you determine, I'm going to follow that voice, and that voice is, gives me the prescription that rattles around in my brain and my heart and tells me which way to go. Now, what does that have to do with this text? I'm so glad you asked that question this morning. This chapter has absolutely nothing to do with these Jewish Christians' preoccupation with angels. Instead, it has everything to do with the voices that they grew up listening to. It was angels. You see, by this time, the Jewish Christians had, had a pretty sophisticated understanding of angels, including the fact that they considered angels mediators. They were authoritative messengers of the Torah. In fact, in Deuteronomy 33, it says that angels were there to give assistance and mediate as God delivered the word to his people, to Moses. Angels were there to help and assist in doing that. The Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, that angels participated in delivering the law, the Torah, to God's people. And for the Jews, that was a huge deal because the Torah was their everything. 
It's the precious word of God given to his precious people. So Jews developed this very sophisticated theology that angels had to be listened to because they had an authority. They were authoritative mediators, authoritative messengers of the word of God. And on top of that, they were incredibly powerful creatures. Don't, don't have in your mind those, those precious moments images. The, the, the angel PR department has taken a big hit with those, those little sculptures. So don't think the, the overfed babies with a well-placed curl in the front and fl- strumming a harp on a cloud. In the Bible, when angels were met, quite often people had to be told to get up because they fell on their faces, tempted to worship them. They were powerful creatures who had authority, who wouldn't want to listen to angels. But what the pastor here says is they may be something to behold. They had power and they had authority, but they aren't God. The point for them, the point for you and for me, the first point for us this morning is this. There may be voices in your life that are powerful. There may be voices in your life that have authority, but none of those voices can compare to Jesus. They're not the same. There may be voices that have power. There may be voices that have authority in your life, but none of them can be compared to Jesus in your life. The pastor in in chapter one makes four comparisons between angels and Jesus, and he says their authority isn't the same. And he makes makes these points all quoting from the Psalms. He's taking the Jewish hymn book, the authoritative hymn book, the psalm book. It's like he's quoting their own song lyrics back at them, reminding them who Jesus is. He's fully man, yes, but he's fully God. Remember the authority of the Son of God. Look at verse five. He says, angels are messengers. In fact, that's the root of the word angel. It means messenger. Angels are but messengers, but Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse five. To which of the angels... Did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you, or I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son? The answer is none. He doesn't say that to any of the angels. Angels pass along God's messages, but Jesus is the son of God, the living son of God. There's a different authority there. Second, verse six, angels are worshiping creatures but Jesus is the one they worship. It's a different authority there. He's specifically thinking of Jesus' birth in verse 6, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Recall at Christmas time, we read from Luke chapter 2, and it reports the multitude of angels appearing in the shepherd's field. Do you remember? And there's this, this choir of angels that appear in the sky, and they're singing. They're singing, glory to God in the highest. Remember that? Wouldn't you like to have been there? And heard what it sounds like for an angel choir to be, to be singing that. One day you'll get to hear it. When you get to heaven, you'll get to hear that choir. But verse 6 very interestingly says, let all God's angels worship. So what was seen in that shepherd's field, is, as Sinclair Ferguson says it, and at the birth of Jesus was just like the choir loft of the angels singing. It was like just a little outcropping of, of angels go down and appear in the, in the field at Jesus' birth. But verse 6 says, behind that little choir loft of angels singing is all of the angels of God singing. 
He's like opening up the heavens and all of the hosts, rank on rank, file on file, we sing at Christmas. All of the angels of heaven were singing at the birth of Jesus. Saying the angels are glorious, of course. They're fearful to see. But Jesus, fully God and fully man, even at his birth, when he's an infant, a helpless baby laid in a manger, and yet all of the angels of heaven are worshiping him. All of the angels, these powerful creatures of heaven, are worshiping a child laid in a feeding trough in a little bitty town of Bethlehem. And yet all of the angels of heaven are worshiping this child. They're different. Angels are worshiping creatures, but it's this child in the manger whom they're worshiping. Their authority is different. Don't confuse them, this pastor is saying. Third, verse 7 says he makes angels his winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels are servants whom God created. They serve in power and in might. They're, they're fearsome to behold. But Jesus is the Lord who creates them. They're, angels are the servants whom God created, but Jesus is the one who's created them. Look at verse 10. You, Lord laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the works of your hands, including the angels. Verse eight, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The angels are created servants, but Jesus is the one who created them. Their authority is different. Don't confuse the two. And fourth, angels have been given to serve us. The image bearers of God, recipients of grace, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Angels have been given to bless and to serve you and me. We are the ones who are to inherit salvation, but Jesus is the risen conqueror. Angels are servants, but Jesus is the risen conqueror of all of his enemies and our enemies. Look at verse 13. Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Angels were agents to deliver the message of the victory of God. But Jesus is the one who actually won the victory of God. Jesus is the one who's conquered. Jesus didn't become an angel. Jesus didn't go to the cross to die in the place of angels. Jesus went to the cross to die in the place of you and me, sinners who rebelled against him. He did that for us. For when we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, that we might be those who would inherit salvation. Jesus came to conquer sin and death and evil. And mess, eat. the angels are the ones who communicate that message, but Jesus is the one who won the victory. To sum it all up, the pastor would say, don't lose the plot. Don't forget how it all ties together. The point is that angels have been helpful and important messengers, but not when compared with Jesus. Angels are messengers. Jesus is the message. Don't forget Angels delivered the message. Jesus is the living message. Pay close attention to Jesus. Don't give your spiritual ears to a lesser voice. These, these folks, these Jewish Christians who were thinking about returning to their Judaism, 
thinking about leaving Jesus behind and returning to what they had before. He's saying, don't leave something that's greater for something that's lesser. Don't leave the Son of God, the one to whom all of these powerful angels point. Don't leave something that's greater for something that's lesser. Don't confuse the authority of the angels for the one to whom they all point. It bears asking this morning, whose voice are we hearing? Which voices in our world have authority in our hearts? We are, in a sense, skiing downhill through a difficult and troubling world, aren't we? Sometimes it feels like we're blind. Or at least we're squinting to see clearly and we're, we're tethered to some guide, some instructor, some voice that, that we've been trained to follow, that we're being discipled to hear, to take instruction from, to know where to turn, when to stop. Who is it? Whose voice, whose authority is directing how we live our lives? Let's think about that question a moment. Whose voice has Wait. Perhaps for some of us, that voice is the voice of approval of others in our vocational field. Their voice matters the most, and we will do almost anything to get or keep the voice of the approval of people in our vocational field. We'll, 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 do, we'll compromise almost anything to get or keep the voice of approval of those in our vocation. We will sacrifice time with our family. We'll sacrifice friends. We will even put our faith on the back burner to, in order to advance in our career because those who have power and have authority tell us that what you have to do to advance in this world, in this career, you have to make your career the most important thing in your life. If you really want to advance, then you have to do this. And that voice that says you must do this becomes the guiding voice of how we live. Is that the most important? Is that the dominant voice that directs how you live your life? For some of us, maybe. For others of us, that demanding vo dominant voice might be the voice of unmet expectations. There may be a mentor that you've had in your life, perhaps it's even been parents, that have had expect, certain expectations of how you would live your life and, and you haven't met them. And you keep hearing the critique. You just keep hearing it all your life and you've, just, you've lived to try to, to try to live it down that you've never been able to measure up. I've done everything I've done in my life just to try to measure up to this set of expectations this person has had for me and I can't get out from under that sense of shame. I've never, ever good enough. And everything I do is to try to feel good enough because this voice in the back of my head says, you're never good enough. You're, you've never been able to. And everything you do is in response to that voice inside your head saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. Is that the voice that's the most important to direct how you live your life? For some of us, it's a little bit more subtle. It might be a wound for something that's happened to you. And that narrative of that wound of something that happened to you has steered you and it's defined so many of the choices you've made in your life. 
It hurt you so deeply and you've maybe said to yourself, I'll never let anyone hurt me again. Never. And so you closed off part of your heart. I'll never let anybody hurt me again. And a part of a consequence of that, that voice is you've never let anyone really see the real you. Never let yourself be vulnerable before anybody ever again. And what that really means is you've never let anybody love you. Because you've said, I'll never let anybody hurt me again. And that voice has dominated the way you've lived your life. Because that voice is what's been most important. As important as some of those things are, should they be the most important? Should they be the dominant voice? Should they be more important than the Son of God who says that he loves you? And he's given his life for you to forgive you, to heal you, to restore you? What voice is the most important in your life? This may step on some toes, but perhaps the voice that guides your life is literally a voice that comes over a news channel. I don't care which one it is. But whatever comes from that person or from that channel is the touchstone of truth, and it shapes how you see the world and how you live your life, what your, your hopes are, what your fears are. It may be important, but... Whomever is seated in that news anchor seat, if whoever's seated in that news anchor seat shapes your life, shapes your hopes, shapes your fears, more than the Jesus who's seated on the throne as king, then something's wrong. If the person seated in the news anchor seat shapes your life and your choices and your hopes and your fears more than the Jesus who's seated on the throne, then something is wrong in our walk with Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who is on the throne. Jesus is the one who is in control, not what a news channel tells us. Whose voice is at the center? to direct how you live your life, to direct what choices you make, to direct what you hope for, what you live for, what you fear. That place, the Bible says, belongs to Jesus alone. Other voices may be powerful, other voices may be important, but none compare to Jesus. Whose voice directs your life? Second, because Jesus is on the throne, Pay close attention to what is most important. Because Jesus is on the throne, pay close attention to what is most important. Get verse one of chapter two. It begins with therefore. And I've said before, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. And the therefore here is because of all of what the pastor has just said, that nothing else should be compared with Jesus' authority. No other voice should be laid alongside Jesus' weight, Jesus' authority in our lives. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We're going to come back to drift in just a moment, but I want to make sure that we grasp what the pastor is saying here in verses 2 and 3. He's making a lesser to greater argument. Verse 2, he says, since the message of the angels was reliable 
and to disobey it brought judgment. That the whole generation weren't allowed into the promised land. They were judged. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Do you follow? To ignore the angels was a big deal. But it's much worse when we receive and neglect the Son of God who has come. The incredible Savior, a God who took on flesh and became man for us, who went to the cross in judgment for all of our sin, who was cursed so that we could be forgiven, and then adopted us as his own dear daughters and sons, who's given us eternal life and a new heavens and a new earth with him. He's saying disobeying angels was bad, but how shall we escape judgment if we neglect the Son who's come for us? Lesser to greater, disobeying angels was, was a big deal, but disobeying, neglecting the Son of God, that's much more of a concern. Neglect him by doing what? What do I need to do to find myself on that road to judgment? The question is the pastor's asking, what do I have to do to find myself on the road to hell? It's really what the pastor's asking us to think about here. What, what kind of judgment am I drawing upon myself here? What do I have to do to find myself on that road to, to being cast away? The pastor says nothing. Nothing at all. And that's exactly the point. In verse 1, he calls it drifting away. It's just drift. It's a word that describes a boat being carried along on a current. It's just drifting, being pushed by the current. And after a while, you look up and you find yourself very far away from where you thought you were going to be, where you thought you were supposed to be. It's like being on a, on a little floaty at the beach. You get past the breakers and then you're laying out there just bobbing on the waves and you, and you fall asleep. In 30 minutes or an hour, you wake up and, and you're a mile down the beach from where you thought you where you started out and you, how did I get here how did I, how do I find myself how did I get here I'm, that's, I'm a mile away how did I wake up and find myself here it's drifting what the pastor is saying is it doesn't have to be purposeful drifting away from Jesus doesn't have to be just purposeful choices he's talking to religious people people who are struggling with their faith maybe like some of us here in this room did you notice in verse 1, he includes himself. He says, we must pay much closer attention lest we drift. He's talking to us, we in this room, we might be so consumed with the cares of this world. We might be giving our hearts to things that seem so dadgum important right now. Things that are so important, they're just, there's just an urgency to them, so consuming and important that we've neglected the living Son of God to our great jeopardy. And we just find ourselves drifting because we've given our hearts to lesser things that seem so important. I think he's talking to people like me. He's talking to people like us who may be tempted to think what's really important, what's really important and what I really need in my life right now, what I really have to have, I just need a win. 
I, just, I need some momentum in my life right now. Well, okay. But that's not more important than Jesus is. What I, what I really, I have to have in my life right now, I'm not going to make it. I just, I have to have a break. Maybe. Probably. But not at the expense of caring about who Jesus is. It's important, but it's not more important than Jesus. I, I really, right now, what I really, I most need, I've, I've got to have it. What I really, I really need is, I really need approval. I, what, I, what I most need is I need a chance. What I've got to have, I've got to have an opportunity. What I most need right now, I've, I've got to feel safe. I've, I've just, I've got, I, that's most important on my agenda. I've got to feel safe. What I most need right now, I, I just need somebody to talk it through with me. I, I'm having a hard time. What I most need in my life is I need somebody to love me. What's really important to me right now, what's really most top of my agenda, what's most important, I really need our guy to win. Well, okay. But are any of those things so important that they squeeze Jesus out of his central place in my heart, in my life? It's easy to happen. All it takes is a little bit of drift for some other really, really important thing in our lives to take on this tyranny of the urgent. It's the thing I've got to have, the thing my life has got to be about right now. I've got to have this. And Jesus becomes, well, he's a nice accessory. It'd be nice if I have, I've got to have this, but it'd be nice if I could have Jesus too. It's drift. Let me put it this way. When the main thing becomes a side thing, we're focused on the wrong thing. When the main thing becomes a side thing, we're focused on the wrong thing. And I want to be crystal clear, the main thing is Jesus. When Jesus, who is the main thing in our lives, becomes a side thing. When, when the main thing is Jesus becomes a, he's, he's an add-on, he becomes an accessory. When the main thing in your life becomes, I'll get to him when I have time. I'll get to Jesus when, when, I, when I'm through the really important stuff and I've got time in my life, I'll squeeze him in. When the main thing becomes a side thing, we've gotten focused on the wrong thing. Friends, it's so easy to do. So easy. I mean, it's, it's easy in transition times in life. When, when we go off to college, it's really tempting and easy to just leave Jesus behind. I'll, I'll get to him. I've just got to get through this first. Or when we're starting out in our career, and we're, we're career, we are career building and climbing the ladder. And I'll, I'll get to Jesus. I've, I've just got to give focus to this. I've got to get my feet under me. I've got to get this thing done. I've got to give my time. I'll, I'll get to Jesus when I have more time. The side things become the main thing. Or I've got to focus on this house. I mean, I've, I've got this. I've got, this is really important to me right now. I've got to, this next house. I've got to get. The side thing becomes the main thing. Or 
I'm really, really concerned about the decline in our culture. It's really important. I'm so focused on doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I just don't have time for my relationship with Christ right now. I'm, I'm focused on this issue and that issue and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I'll, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll start paying attention to discipleship and I'll study the Bible again later. But I've got to focus on this issue and that and this. And, and then we wake up and where's Jesus? I've given all my attention to all these things worthy of all my attention. And I wake up and wonder, where's Jesus? I'm a mile and a half down the beach and I wonder, how did I get here? What happened? The pastor saying here, do not do that with the living son of God. There is no one and there is no thing more precious than him. There is no issue more precious than him to take up the central attention of your heart. The crucified and risen Lord is the only giver of eternal life. Listen, the truth is that all of us are guilty of drifting. I know I am. Counting some other voice as the most important thing shaping how I live my life right now. Something more than Jesus. or Some other pursuit, some other value occupying my heart more than Jesus as important as all of those other things are, I'm guilty. And I need this pastor's call as much as anybody else to calling us back to paying much closer attention to what we have heard. So this morning, let's repent. Let's, this morning, as we find our way skiing through this life, tethered to Jesus, sometimes blind, sometimes squinting, not knowing which way to turn, which way to go, let's ask the Lord to help us draw near to our Savior and tune out some of the noise in our lives and tune into his voice. This morning, what we most need to hear is the voice of Jesus. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we need most the voice of Jesus to hear him say, let's come to a fellowship meal, you and I. You've sinned. You've drifted. But I was slain to give you rest. Come, and I'll set you free. Come to me and I will set you free from all that drift. Come and the Holy Spirit will unclog your ears and let you hear the beauty of the sound of my voice, the beauty of the sound of my cry from the cross. It is finished. There's nothing more to be done. I've paid the price. It's finished. You are my beloved. Come to me and rest. Let's pay much closer attention to that voice of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, by your spirit, unclog our ears. Would you clean out our hearts that we would behold the most important thing, that we would lay hold of the main thing and know of your faithful never stopping, never giving up love. Help us, O oh Lord. Help us to see and hear you today and give us a newness of life, we ask. In Jesus' name.
Amen.